Hello, I'm Paul Heaney, VP Editorial Director of R&D World Magazine. We are back with the ninth episode of the R&D 100 podcast, and it is great to have you here again to chat about different products and technology that have been birthed. Birth, huh? Birth? Paul, I bet our audience didn't know we were going to segue into high drama with this number nine podcast, huh? Birth? Yeah. Well, I don't right. know. I, maybe <laughs> I just pronounce it. So, well, speaking of which, I'm, I'm happy to be back with the better half of this podcast for you here, the permanently delightful Amy Kalnaskis, our senior editor. Thanks for being here again, Amy. Uh, okay, birth. Mm-hmm. And then terminal. I'm sensing a theme. Did I just walk into a philosophical <laughs> podcast recording on life and death? Are we going to stick to some cool R&D tech? I mean, Paul, I just want to know so I can pivot accordingly. <laughs> and, and yes, as Paul said, I'm Amy Kalnaskis, R&D World Senior Editor. Glad to be back on the podcast co-hosting duty. It's been a bit, uh, quite a while since podcast episode number eight. So I, I was thinking, Amy, we should start off maybe by getting everyone a little bit caught up here. No? Yeah, yeah. Good, great idea, Paul. You know, one of the great things about this podcast is it's like an anthology series. And mm-hmm. Unlike the stories in my favorite British TV mystery shows, or if you prefer, soap operas, where you can just listen to one of them or in any order that you want. It's all up to you. That, that is very true, Amy. Each episode is a tale unto itself, sort of a, a beginning to end story of how a past R&D 100 winner was created, developed, and then assumed its final award-winning form. Yep. Hey, and in this podcast, we examine groundbreaking new technology and also take a look at the science of innovation. And as Paul said, each episode looks at the genesis of one specific past R&D 100 award winner. For those of you who don't know what an R&D 100 winner is, uh, that is a program that R&D World, uh, our publication, has been putting on for 61 years now, which is crazy to think about. Uh, It's an annual competition. It's global in nature. And it selects the 100 most uh, innovative, game-changing technologies across the globe. And uh, we're we're in, Amy, what I like to call kind of submission season, right? Yeah, so, in, the, in the right sense of the word, audience. Yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> uh, submissions opened this year on March 10th. And right. so right now, assuming you're you're listening to this podcast soon after it's come out, the early bird deadline is uh, May 4th. So as long as you have your submission in by 11.59 p.m. Eastern or New York City time on May 4th, uh, you can get the the early bird rate. And then the uh, the final deadline with a small late fee uh, will be on June 1st of this year. Since our, our publishing firm has has taken over the, the publication and the awards back in 2019, I, you know, people every year ask us, what about kind of a, a professional award, a personal award for, you know, maybe uh, the best technician or the best engineer or scientist. And, you know, every year we say, no, no, we don't, you know, we've, we've never had that. We've talked about it among our staff and uh, excited to, to announce our new R&D professional awards this year. Um, and there are actually five different categories, R&D researchers of the year, R&D leaders of the year, R&D Teams of the Year, R&D Sustainability Innovators of the Year, and lastly, R&D Technicians of the Year. And I think one the, the one that that I'm, I'm excited about all of them, Amy, but yeah, the yeah. one that I, I'm really excited about in a special way is that Technicians of the Year. Um, you know, we did, we did talk to 
quite a few people in the industry about what they would want out of a, a professional awards program. And so many of them came back and said, you know, technicians is an area where they're so critical to our processes, to our innovations, to our techniques, to our, uh, our, our, our jobs, but there's almost nowhere for them um, to really get recognized. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's nothing like that in industry. Whereas, you know, there's, there's definitely some things out there for the scientists and the engineers, yeah. but so many times the technicians who are doing excellent work um, are, are overlooked. And, and I, I would say the other thing I'll add is, uh, you know, we heard that there's also a lot of kind of end of career awards out there for professionals, sort of a lifetime achievement type thing. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's not a lot for, I'm going to call them mid-career professionals, you know, people who are out there in the prime of their career doing excellent work or even younger people doing excellent work. And so I think this is a, a really uh, unique and, and uh, needed way to recognize those kind of folks. I think it's brilliant, Paul. I think it's an excellent idea because you think about the folks that we've talked to on this podcast and the ones that are highlighted elsewhere, mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to shine as much as they do without those technicians. So I'm very excited about that award as well. We'll have our, our judging in kind of June, July timeframe. And then uh, I think we have almost the exact same dates for our, our, our various announcements that we did last year. So as as we normally do, we announced the finalists, um, which is a number that can vary. Uh, it can be, you know, 150 or 170 or 190 that are, are the top uh, the top ones that our judges have looked at. And then out of that number, let's say it's 170, the 100 actual winners are announced. And we always keep kind of a week between those two. So the finalists will be announced uh, tentatively on August 15th. And then the R&D 100 winners will be announced uh, on August 22nd. And my understanding is on the 22nd, then we'll also announce the special recognition categories as well as the, the professional awards. Um, and the reason we, we, we put the week in there is, you know, so many times um, I, I think people who are announced as finalists, but who aren't announced as winners, they, they kind of get swept under the rug. And, and even if you're a finalist, but not a winner, that still is a, is a high, high recognition. So yeah. we want to make sure there's at least a week out there for, for everyone to shine who's a finalist before we, we announce the winners. Good point. Good point. And then the date of the ceremony? Oh, the, and the date of the ceremony has been set too, Amy. So that's going to be uh, actually at the same location for the second year in a row at the lovely uh, Coronado Island Marriott, which is basically San Diego. Um, and that is going to be on November 16th. So Please mark your calendars, and we would uh, love to have you at that amazing black tie event. We had about, I think it was about 100, 350 people there last year. So people were really excited to get out and, and just be with each other and network and, and celebrate each other. Yeah, and I, while well, I admit it was tough, I lost my place as co-host to you, to, but it was if I could lose my place to anyone, it would be to our amazing colleague, Rachel Pazzini who definitely makes a statement in black and white, I'll have to say. You know, so. Well, you know, you both do. And, uh, <laughs> it's tough competition, but if I ever get the chance to host again, or maybe I'll just crash it, Paul, because, you know, San Diego's not that far from San Francisco. Well, and, and, and for our listeners, in fairness, <laughs> Amy was double booked. And so <laughs> she asked Rachel to fill in. And, uh, and, you know, the other thing, too, is Amy already lives in California. Rachel lives here in Cleveland with me. So it's 
it's a little more of a bonus for someone in Cleveland to get to go to San Diego in November right. than you know, yeah. just going downstate a little bit. I'm I she did a fantastic job and um you know but just know I'm 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 in the wings should you ever all right. need okay all right well if she's double booked this year then we're gonna bring you <laughs> yeah I was just going for the audience sympathy vote when I <laughs> but I was double booked clearly clearly you know also is um you had uh you finally got around to reading that the latest um the R and D R and D index. The power index. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, so every for, Monday, uh, Tim Stutt writes for us. Yeah, Tim Stutt. So those of you who aren't aware, um, we do publish the R&D index. It's a weekly stock market summary of the top international companies involved in, in R&D. And you know what? I, I, I noticed right away, because I'm on the electronics engineering side of our brands a lot, mostly, is that um, it's kind of we're seeing more semi-manufacturing return to the U.S. Um, as opposed to Asia. And I noted that Micron Technology is opening a campus in Clay, New York, mm-hmm. and the goal is to begin production in the latter half of this decade, which is very ambitious, if you know anything that about is. manufacturing. But the really cool, what I'll call side effect of this decision, is that the local colleges and universities near Clay, New York, and I know there's a bunch of SUNY schools and stuff like that, they're overhauling their education and training programs So because they want to increase the number of new engineers. And not just new engineers, but as you noted before, technicians. So they're going to start ramping up the skill set of current technicians to be able to work in this new semi-manufacturing facility. So I just thought, I know there's a lot of AI and chatbot stuff going on, and, and that's fascinating as well. But I was heartened to see, you know, these these stories popping up, especially when it comes to, um, you know, uh, the civic leaders taking an active role in yeah. promoting STEM education. Yeah, we need to we need to keep the next generation uh, coming and, and make sure that they're going to be appropriately educated as as the next generation comes into our industries. And then maybe write without a chatbot, but who knows? <laughs> I'm suspicious. So, so speaking of AI, I have kind of a a, a live game show I, I thought we could play together before we jump into today's R and D one hundred. Oh boy! Are you are you uh, are you? I'm game. game. I'm game. All right. So this isn't so much on the chatbot side, but I don't know if you, I don't think you. I think you told me you had not yet played with the uh, the Dal Dolly Dally. However, you said Dolly. The, oh. uh, the image generating the AI. No, image. I hadn't. I hadn't. So here, so here's what I did, Amy. I went to the R and D World uh, homepage, and I picked out three recent news items. Okay. You know, each one has is a news release, and then it has an image with it. Okay. And then I made up two fake images using AI. Okay. Describe the technology. So we'll, the first one we'll, we'll do is uh, the headline is. Glowing nanoparticles enhance at-home COVID-19 test sensitivity. Okay. So when we post this podcast live, I will put all of these images on the R&D World uh, article page that announces this podcast. So if you're listening at home, viewers, you can, and you think, well, I can't see this. You can go to our website and see what Amy's talking about. Okay. So let's do, do, I think, nanoparticles first. Okay, so I'm opening nanoparticles1.jpg. Perfect. And all right, we've got a black screen. We've got some orange and purplish. I don't know. They're threatening to be DNA structures, but I'm guessing they're COVID. Um, And and obviously nano, very small. And then there's one in the middle that looks a little bit like a crumpled up piece of aluminum foil. 
<laughs> but okay. it, it, it has something of the same shape as the others. So there's like one, two, three, four, five. There's five kind of floating around in a black hole. And then there's this wrinkled, wrinkled aluminum foil. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, oh my. Um, huh. <laughs> this, the background looks like, oh, I don't know, one of my grandmother's tablecloths. Um, it's got tans and some semi-floral things going on. Um, they threaten to be like trying to look like nanostructures, perhaps. And then a big old star, five-point star in the middle that looks like it's raw cookie dough. Okay. Uh, okay. And then number three. Oh my. Um mess. I love the oh my's. <laughs> <laughs> this has a actually some actual words at the top, and they look German. Mest, must mustalic. T E and I can't get a so I'm thinking something metal, um, and it's got a vertical green, bright green light in the middle of a black background, and then sort of a, a gradation of green on the bottom. So like a light green, dark green, and then white, and then dark green, light green on the bottom. So I'm right, I'm going to read you the headline again, and you're going to have to tell me which one is the real. Okay, go for it. The headline again was. Glowing nanoparticles enhance at-home COVID-19 test sensitivity. Give me, get, you have to rank them in most. Oh, I have to rank them. Okay, I, I feel like, I feel like I'm gonna get. Oh. <laughs> okay, I I've got to say that one, three, and two. So the one, the crinkled aluminum one is what I would say is the real Your top one. guess. Okay. And then that my next guess is the one that had the uh, verbiage on it, mest mestialic, um, and a single vertical glowing green blob. And then the third one is the star on my grandmother's tablecloth. All right. Well, you couldn't be more wrong because the star on the tablecloth was the actual image. You know what? I was going to say that just because it looked like the most one that was far out. <laughs> but I was just being very strict. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Oh, read, yeah, listeners, uh, you have to go on, on the site and look at these because I think you'll side with me and just say Paul's messing with us. Yeah. All right. So, so, all right. There, our first one done. Let's do uh second one. Let's do surgical, I think is the name of the folder. Okay. I got it open. And, and the headline is This Surgical Robotic Arm could potentially 3D bioprint inside the human body. So Amy, go ahead and, and open your first one. Okay, uh, it does look like sort of a robotic um, situation here where I see something that looks like it's being uh, a heart with valves that's being 3D printed. Um, it's very pink and red, and then there's some blue on the bottom. So that looks pretty, that looks pretty interesting. Um, the second one, Ooh, um, that looks like a robotic arm with a needle putting a white circle on a liver. Mm hmm. Okay, that just messed with my lunch. And uh, the third one I've just opened is uh, another robot, and it's working on the shape of a heart. Um, and hearts. When I mean heart, I mean Valentine's Day heart, not a real heart. <laughs> so I really question that one. So once more, can you 
Can you read the titles? The title one more time before I give you my ranking. Oh, this is the best thing I've done all day. All right. <laughs> the headline again is this surgical robotic arm could potentially 3D bioprint inside the human body. I, all right, I'm just going to go for it. I feel like number two, the liver one seems like it's most likely, but that's a tough to call against the first one I opened, which, which had like multiple robotic arms and a heart with valves. The one that seems absolutely wrong, and I'm, I'm going to get my head handed to me, aren't I? Or at least my heart <laughs> is the one that's shaped like a Valentine's heart. <laughs> Quit laughing and tell us. <laughs> Oh. oh, this is killing me. No, you're right. It is the the liver, the liver Thank thing. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now if you go back into and look at number one and you look at the actual robotic arms, quote unquote, they're very bizarre and they make they are. sense. They <laughs> almost look like flat, um, like metal templates. They do, they do. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I learned early about the uh, the AI generated images uh, is look closely at people's hands. Like if you write like a couple walking on a beach at sunset uh -huh. and it, it may look really realistic, but then if you zoom in, like the one person may have like seven fingers or something <laughs> or, or they'll just, the fingers will be rendered very, very strangely and not at all normal. Uh, okay. That's, that's interesting. So something about this robotic thing touching that heart um reminded me of that like it just didn't know what to do with the yeah it, it, end it, parts it of is, it yeah it does look like a surgical mess <laughs> um but yeah when i when I, I i had to include the one with the, the valentine shaped heart because that was so wrong that it just made me laugh it's, it's really wrong uh, <laughs> all right last one okay uh, this is the bandage folder so the headline is Engineers at Northwestern develop electronic bandage that accelerates healing. Okay, the image one is a hand and I see three, maybe four fingers. Uh, there's also a wedding band on it. So I don't know AI would bother with that. And a very small, even with my glasses, I'm struggling to see, what were they, what were they designing again, Paul? Electronic bandage that accelerates healing. Mm, okay, that's pretty interesting. Well, that's interesting in general, but that image is interesting. All right, let me see. Number two is an arm with a bandage that could potentially be like flexible electronics, possibly. I don't know how that would accelerate healing unless it's um, filled with, I don't know, medicine. So there's a bandage on an arm. Um, and like white, small white square bandages on top of that, that looks like, you know, normally you know, like you would have electrodes going through them or something like that. And then three is a very hairy arm, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, did you, were you posing for this? I don't know if you oh. have a hair arm or not. <laughs> it was um, not me. None, I, was in, I was in none of these images. Oh, okay. Cause that really did look like my liver in the previous one. But, um, so it's a like a sort of a round puffy bandage with little white circles around it that almost look like somebody stuck their finger in baby powder and then put it all around the the arm and the bandage. So one more time, if you could just give me that title. Engineers at Northwestern develop electronic bandage that accelerates healing. Yeah, that first one with the 
wedding band. I wonder if AI got mixed up with the band business because it doesn't look like an All right. Okay. So I think I'm going to go for, this is a tough one. Um, AI is tough, Amy. <laughs> Tricky. You know, my regular intelligence can be tough, let alone artificial. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just go for broke here, Paul. I'm going to say the oh, tough call, tough, tough call. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go, this is a tough, I'm going to go for three, which is the hairy arm. And we'll say that's the first one, the correct one. And then okay. the other, the other two, I would say, um, the other one with a sort of oval bandage with white squares on it. Maybe that's the second. The third one, I I think that the wedding band, I think it threw off AI because I don't even recognize what's in there. But anyway, that's my that's my decision. I'm sticking to it. Amy, it was number one. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, as soon as I as soon as. I re-looked at that one. I thought, oh, crap. I just told her the thing about the fingers. And now, <laughs> and that one, like, the fingers look normal, what you can see of them. So I well, thought there's only three. Normal. I don't know if there's ten. It's usually only... the end of the fingers, too, I think, that are the <laughs> problematic part. All right. Well, I'm thinking AI saw the word band. <laughs> and that was, I hadn't even thought about that. That was pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Does that make one out of three, huh? One out of three. So AI is... Only fools, Amy. <laughs> Two thirds of the time. <laughs> oh, well, if nothing else, AI is very entertaining, but it does have a lot of practical applications. So for sure, but, for sure. But thank you. Oh, that was that was a hoot. And audience, you really ought to check that out and and maybe um, tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> All right, Paul, I think it's time to go ahead and chat about today's technology. And you had mentioned the other day that this one was from a company called Tescan, right? Tescan? You are right, Amy. Tescan is a global supplier of scientific instruments that is based in Europe. And today we are looking at the Unitom HR product, which was a 22 R&D 100 award winner. So just this past year. Ah, cool. Do tell me more. I will. So the Unitom HR dynamic micro CT system is billed as the first micro CT system to provide sub-micron spatial resolution and high temporal resolution dynamic CT in a single highly versatile system. The unit, excuse me, the Unitom HR is ideal for both industrial and academic research researchers who need micro CT imaging to visualize a sample's internal structure, and when they also want to gain a deeper understanding of a sample's behavior under different environmental conditions. Before okay. we jump into the Unitom HR, tell me, um, and for those others who aren't so familiar, a little bit about micro CT, which I do understand as being almost like CAT scans, where you're looking inside an object, slice by slice, right? That, that is exactly right, Amy. Okay. So, and that, and I, I think a, a CAT scan is a good way to visualize, you know, what the system is doing with a medical device uh, that, that most people are familiar with. So I spoke with uh, Dr. Wesley Dabuva, product marketing manager for the Unitom HR at Tescan, and I will let him introduce himself and describe how micro CT relates exactly to CAT scans. So yeah, my name is Wesley Dabuva. I'm currently the product marketing manager for Tescan. Um, my background is actually in geology. So I'm a geologist trained at uh, Ghent University in Belgium. 
um, where I also did my PhD. So during my studies, I worked a lot on, on building materials, on natural building stones, look on how they weathered under the influence of, uh, of the weather, of acid rain and all these things. Um, and during that studies, I used microtomography, micro CT. Um, and that's how I started working for various micro CT companies, electron micro, yeah, through experience with electron microscopes and, and other stuff. So I'm, now I'm at Tescan for the last three years, I would say. So micro CT indeed, it's very similar to a CAT scan you get in a hospital. So it's imaging based on x-rays. Um, in a CAT scan, you have the big donut, that's the x-ray source and the detector that rotate around you. The x-rays go through the patient and you get a 3D image of the inside of the patient. Um, we do more or less the same with our samples. Uh, the main difference is that we don't have to worry too much about the amount of x-rays that our sample gets because uh, yeah, they're not living patients, they're samples. Um, and the resolutions we get are in the orders of a few micrometers or just below one micrometer up to uh, a few tens of micrometers. So we image things at high resolution uh, and look at the structure of objects on the inside. And the technologies, yeah, it originated from these medical CT scanners that were being used for, for things like geological cores and, and other objects. And then the technology of micro CT evolved into a complete own product, a complete own technology. Um, I would also say that here, geosciences uh, were the early adopters, looking at geological cores that came from the subsurface, looking at porosity, uh, looking at fluids like oil and gas on, in their pore space, um, and so on. And then, yeah, now the technology is being used in, in all types of fields. Everything that you can imagine that fits in a micro CT scanner, uh, and you want to look at in the ins at you want to look at the inside uh, without cutting the sample is in a micro uh, has been in a micro CT scanner. So it's it's not only rocks, it's electronics, uh, it's three D printed parts, um, it's even food, uh, cookies being baked, and so on. That's all all applications of micro CT. Well, Paul, the breadth of applications that some of these products have is, is really astounding, right? I mean, that you could use this technology on everything from geology to cookies to, well, my world of semiconductors, actually. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, it, it blows my brain. It's pretty fascinating. Right. But remember that we're still talking about the base technology, the, you know, the micro CT scanner. Oh, right, right. We haven't even got to the test scan product yet. Oh, okay. Well, we're just having too much fun. True, true. So I'm guessing that Tescan either improved this product category or invented something entirely different. Well, yeah, they they definitely improved it. Uh, so the Unitom HR dynamic micro CT system, as I alluded to earlier, it's the first of its type to provide sub-micron spatial resolution in the field. Um, Wesley told me that before the Unitom HR existed, Tescan was already in the business of producing micro CT scanners for, for pretty large samples. And uh, like by that, I mean medium resolutions of a few micrometers that they are able to scan pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So they could actually use these CT scanners to look at processes while they were happening. For example, you could do say a compression test on a type of material and actually see what was happening on the internal structure in real time as you compress it in different ways. 
Mm, this is so incredible and immensely useful. Boy, the application. Right? I'm just yeah, thinking yeah. about. Wow. Okay. So, but on the other hand, other companies were making these things called micro CT scanners. Mm -hmm. They could do much higher resolution scanning. And so, with those devices, you could look at the inside of something with a resolution of, say, half a micrometer, like 500 nanometers, to look at the inside structure in very, very high detail. But what wasn't available from any company was a product that sort of combined those two things. So you could have the really, really great small resolution, but then also to be able to scan very, very fast. So that's kind of the basic premise of the Unitom HR. And Wesley said they did not want to have any compromises in the final product. They really wanted to be able to scan quite large parts and, like I said, to scan them very fast. That, that's ambitious. So they must have had quite an ambitious team to build this best of both worlds scanner, huh, Paul? They did, Amy. So here's Wesley again. So our team is actually com yeah, a combination of a lot of people very experienced in micro CT development uh, going back from as, yeah, our company or the micro CT division originated as a spin-off from the university. So all of the R&D people have a lot of experience uh, in micro CT, uh, very trained engineers, physicists, that really know the physics and the, the hardware development of micro CT scanners very well. And then the other side was actually driven uh, through people like our applications teams, people like me, like product management that looked at the other side. What were the demands of the market? What was missing? Uh, and combined, we actually came to the, the vision of the Unitom HR. I asked Wesley to speak a bit about the timeframe and development process for the Unitom HR as well. Yeah, I think there have been a few years from the initial prototype down to the, the, the finished product. So typically when you make micro CT scanners, you start off by building the, yeah, buying the components, you buy an X-ray source, you buy a detector, you buy a, a rotation stage and it's X-ray. So to test it, you just put it in a, in a lead shielded cabinet or in a bunker and you start by doing some tests. Um, and that process allowed us already to, yeah, to make the, the hardware controls, to make the software, to try different protocols, to try different detectors, see what worked and what, what not. Uh, and once we were happy with that, we, we started with making a first prototype. And actually there were earlier versions um, of the Unitom HR already installed uh, at customers as non-standard non uh, systems, systems of that could do high resolution, but were also very flexible, for instance, at the the Natural History Museum of uh, Belgium had one of these early versions of the system already installed. And all that information or all that knowledge led actually to the, the final version of the Unitom HR that won the R&D 100 award. Now, I know that the teams don't always love to talk about stumbling blocks. I mean, none of us do, right? We want the world to think that whatever project we just finished went real smoothly and we saw the potential issues way ahead of time, et cetera, et cetera, but we do live in the real world. And you and I know that that's not the real world. Did you talk to Wesley about this at all? I'd be curious to hear what their issues might've been. For sure. And, and I always like to hear the same thing, Amy. They did have some struggles with things like supply chain issues during you know the, the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, who didn't? Uh, but Wesley also mentioned a couple of other things. Of course, the the real roadblocks in design. So the, I cannot talk too much about the real hardware uh, difficulties or the, 
because I'm involved in the R&D, but I'm not the, the, the R&D manager, of course. But some of the roadblocks were, yeah, you test uh, some component, uh, some sort of detector, but then in the end, it seems that it's very good for the high resolution part, but not for the, the fast scanning part. So we needed to make compromises there. Uh, also, this system was really developed uh, during COVID period. Uh, I think it was launched in uh, 2021. So um, in the middle of all the COVID period, we did have a lot of issues with supply chain, uh, lead times of the components uh, to try and so on. So the, actually that was not that easy. Also to be able to install the first versions of the systems uh, at customers to give them training. Um, yeah, we're happy that this period is now more or less uh, behind us. Okay, so I'm, I've said this a couple of times, applications, applications. Let's talk applications, Paul. Okay. I'm still stuck on the scanning of cookies, by the way. So we'll get back to <laughs> <laughs> I know you think I just ate lunch, but I'm actually a little hungry. Um, I, I'll, I'll finish my lunch after the recording. Anyway, the Unitom HR, that's what we're talking about. Let me get back. Okay. Away from the cookies. I'm guessing it does way more than cookies. Amy, I'm going to make it way worse for you here by talking about baking bread and making beer. <laughs> oh, for the love of Paul, why are you doing this to me? I thought we were friends. It's not me. It's Wesley, Amy. <laughs> Uh, so here he is again, uh, talking about what the Unitom can do and why it's game-changing for so many different applications. So it's game-changing in the fact that before that, uh, MicroCT was used to study the internal structure of devices. Now it can be used to study the behavior of samples and devices. So for instance, in, in food science, you could use MicroCT to look at the bubble distribution inside cookies, inside bread, but you could not really see what's the evolution of these bubbles during the baking process. Now, with systems like Unitom HR, you can bake these cookies really inside the micro CT scanner and look what's happening in real time. Uh, and I think another example is, uh, I think one of our most famous uh, YouTube videos uh, is how we image the collapse of a beer foam. So if you pour out a beer, it's important that the, the, the foam head is stable for long enough. We're a beer, com a beer country here in Belgium. So we used micro CT to study how that evolved over time. And this is something that was not possible uh, before the dynamic micro CT that's now possible with systems like Unitom HR. The same goes for companies involved in, in energy storage solutions. So you can look at charging and discharging of batteries traditional oil and gas companies that are now evolving actually into companies that involved in CO2 storage can look what is happening if you pump CO2 into a reservoir. How will it affect uh, the, surrounding, the surrounding rocks, for instance? You can look at electronics. Uh, um, if certain components move in an electronic device, what is happening there? Um, things like 3D printed materials, it's a great new technology, this additive manufacturing. But the thing is that we don't really know that much about these, these products yet. So MicroCT or Dynamic MicroCT uh, offers a way to do compression experiments, strength testing of these components directly inside the MicroCT scanner. You know, Paul, I'm also thinking about my world of semiconductors um, okay. before where like the tiniest fault, like an unbelievably tiny devices can wreak havoc on an end design. And I've read a little bit about micro CT being used 
for non-destructive te uh, technique to analyze and image sensitive electronics. I mean, the challenge has been at that level and, and in semiconductors, okay. we're talking like 0.5 nanometers now to get that high resolution. Um, but that can replace things like um, destructive decapping where they take the dye to try to figure out what what part is not functioning properly. But in order to do that, they have to etch it away with the outer plastic coating with nitric and sulfuric acid. And obviously <laughs> that damages everything. And he mentioned yeah. the charging and discharging of batteries in real time, which is really fascinating because it's very useful to be able to understand what's happening inside the battery because that to learn how not only increase the performance because the charging and discharging is happening at the same time, but up to now it's been it's been challenging to figure out well what does that mean? So it's yeah. not only with existing battery technologies, but it can help guide engineering efforts aimed at making, you know, this new world of solid state batteries a reality. So oh, anyway, yeah, just so cool. I mean, my head's going into the electronics world again now. Hey, Paul, any final thoughts from Wesley? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, here are some lessons learned from the Tescan team that he shared with me. I think for Tescan, uh, as, as a micro CT division of Tescan, I think one of the biggest lessons learned was after development, how to promote such a new product in a very efficient way. So um, I think we learned a lot on about putting something very new to the market, how to promote it, how to make sure that the community hears about it. Uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of lessons learned uh, on that side. And of course, on the, on the product itself, um, during the development already, or when you finalize it, you already learn things that could have gone better. So there's already a lot of ideas for the second version of the product, but I think that's something for the next years. And as I like to do, Amy, I also asked what winning an R&D 100 award meant to him and the whole team. Here's what he told me about that. I think for everyone, it's a, a big form of yeah, uh, recognition. It's a reward for everybody that was uh, involved in the project, going from the first guy that made the technical drawings, the first guy that got the ideas, everybody in the software team, everybody that did the testing. So it's a whole team that worked on it. So we were actually very happy that we, uh, that we won this award because yeah, it proves that um, our point was, our goal was to, make something new to, to, yeah, to prove that we are really involved, a very strong uh, R&D company. So I think it's, uh, that's the main thing. It's very, a very big recognition for the entire team. Great, it's great. I think the only thing you've left out here, Paul, is the whole question of, maybe they don't wanna share it, but what's their secret sauce for encouraging innovation? Did you get into that at all with Wesley? Uh, I did, Amy. Uh, so I think what it boils down to for them is that they are, really push to be innovative because of their customers. Uh, Wesley told me that their customers come with all sorts of crazy ideas to them. Uh, you know, maybe some of them which are a little bit too innovative for prime time. <laughs> but uh, he said that they they listen to all of them and then combined with what sounds like, you know, some of their, their own very crazy R&D guys on their team, uh, they come up with some some very funky ideas and then they just try some of them out. I love that. Oh my gosh, they listen to the customer. Wow. I know, amazing. <laughs> And then, and then he also told me that, uh, you know, with the R&D team they have, their philosophy is they they just want to try new things. Mm. I mean, all researchers with PhDs. Yeah. So uh, they want to try new things and not just what's already been done. And then lastly, 
he mentioned that they're in uh in belgium and that we should come visit them and have some beers with them <laughs> well i can check let's see flights right now sfo to where ghent i don't know where ghent, yeah, yeah, he did say ghent yes, yes i'll just pick you up in cleveland that's fine that's fine uh <laughs> As long as you've got some red wine for me, you know I'm not a beer guy. Yeah, me either, but it sounded good. <laughs> the beers and then get the wine later. Well, wonderful. You know, as, as we always like to point out to our audience, if you are a past R&D 100 award winner, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a 2022 winner, you could have won it in uh, 1981, and you can yeah. give us an update on what you're doing. Uh, you know, especially if you have an interesting development story or, or something down the line uh that where your your innovation really changed something in industry that was was pretty remarkable please uh we, we'd love to talk about it and, and please get in touch with us you can yeah, email us the oh sorry amy oh no go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say you can email the details to us at spell right. out research development at wtwhmedia.com we are constantly on the lookout for topics for future uh r&d 100 podcast episodes and we have so much fun with them so so definitely take we're looking out for some for some amazing innovative R and D and there's such a such a huge pull that uh, sometimes it's tough to narrow it down, isn't it, Paul? It is. <laughs> hey, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter. I'm at at ee world underscore Amy. That's A I M E E, and at W T W H underscore Paul Heaney. That's P A U L H E N E Y. Sure, and and don't forget to. Uh, check out our website anytime, rdworldonline.com. Uh, there's actually a podcast menu bar item. If you go to that, you can uh, find the article referencing this podcast with all the images, the AI-generated images we talked about earlier, if you want to check those out. And don't forget uh, also to submit for this year's R&D 100 Awards. Uh, we'd love to, to have uh, you in the mix and have our judges look at, at your latest innovations and see if it's game-changing enough to make the 2023 R&D 100. Well, until next time, this is Paul Heaney here. And Amy Kalnoskis over here. Signing off. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>